Tell us your story. Welcome to Author Eke. Hi, I'm Travis Davis, your host. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Author Eke. This week, I have Stephen Ronson, Ronson and he is, uh, well, he's supposed to be in the UK, but he's not. <laughs> he's in Vermont. So uh, we're going to go ahead and let him uh, introduce himself. Uh, he kind of, I think, a World War II kind of buff, and I am too. My dad, I think, read every book on World War II, you know, and he just was very knowledgeable about World War II. And I kind of got that instilled in me also, more from the, uh, you know, Japanese perspective, but he read all of, you know, on the European front too. So, Stephen, go ahead and take it away and uh, introduce yourself. Awesome. Thanks, Travis. Um, so, yeah, my name's Stephen Ronson. Um, just written my first ever book, um, which is going to come out next week. Um, it's uh, called The Last Line. Um, yeah, so as you said, I'm, you can tell from my funny accent, I'm from England, um, yep. <laughs> and, uh, grew up in Sussex, which is on the, the South coast there near, near the sea. Um, now I actually live over in New England, uh, work at Dartmouth college. So, um, uh, oh, also an American, so I'm an American citizen now. Um, and yeah, as you say, have become very, very interested in, in world war two, um, I think particularly growing up, actually growing up in England, which was, you know, just the, the English Channel away from from mainland Europe, um, obviously where where the troops all went across in D Day, and there's mm -hmm. still so many artifacts there. You know, you just growing up, you didn't realise that you were surrounded by it all. Um, and I think as I've got a bit older, I've sort of started looking back at that, and, and yeah, just wanting to to learn more. So yeah, I mean, yeah. even today. When they're doing construction, they'll find bombs, right, right? Right, And they'll have to clear the whole town or neighborhood, yeah. figure out. And and I think at the closest point, was it 26 miles? Right, yeah. I mean, it's 26 yeah, it's, miles across nothing. the channel. And you yeah. can, I mean, even in the First World War, you could hear the guns across, you know, across the channel um, yeah. you know, from all the artillery. So, and yeah, you could be, even now, you can be walking your dog in the fields and you'll come across anti-tank emplacements, mm -hmm. pillboxes, um, uh, dragon's teeth, they called them. So yeah, there's just a whole lot of that still there. Right. And actually, the thing that, that really now gets me is, you know, I'm, I'm now 51. When I was born in the early 70s, the men who are the age that I am now, then they mm -hmm. had all been at the age of serving in, in the war. And, and so as, yeah. obviously, as a child, it felt like ancient history. But to the grown-ups, it was just yesterday. Yeah, I grew. Uh, I grew up. I was in the army, hmm. and I had, uh, my first tour was in uh, Germany. Right. My first tour in Germany was 1978. Wow! And I found it odd because you'd you'd walk around, you know, the different towns, and I was close to Nuremberg, mm. uh, the Czech border. Right. And there was almost a generation missing yeah. of men. It went from, you know, my age, right, to elderly. And there was a, a, a very, and I think that was probably the same for the UK, right? right, right. And yeah. somewhat for the United States, there was, there was a generation missing of young men. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's like you almost can't even you know, believe it. But your book's a little different. Is, is it based on the home front more than, right. than the combat? Exactly. So, um, so, and this is something I was, I was reading, actually, James Holland's new history of the war, The War in the West, which is fascinating and there was just a one-line description in there that he mentioned this thing called an auxiliary unit um, and what this was that they they took men um, most of them veterans from the first war 
who you know knew how to get the job done, who could mm -hmm. melt into the woods when needed. Um, and they said, guys, because this in 1940 they thought the Germans were just going to invade; it was just going to happen. Oh yeah, you know they swept across France like that with their Blitzkrieg, and the, that channel was looking very narrow. So they they gave these groups of men stashes of weapons, and they would go out in, literally in the woods and bury these weapons. Um, and when the invasion happened, they would just sort of leave their farms and their homes and go and live out in the woods as, as guerrillas, and mm -hmm. then yeah, actually lead the fight back um, as guerrilla units so yeah my my hero john cook he's a, a world war one veteran he's a farmer in the in the southeast in sussex um, and he actually goes to volunteer to say hey put me into the fight you know better i'd die than a young man um, mm -hmm. and they say no we don't want you to sign up in the regular army we want you to lead one of these auxiliary units um, so yeah he puts together a team and is, is essentially waiting for the wave of the German wave to come. And in the meantime, then learns about some crimes going on and sort of takes matters into his own hands as a sort of a, Excellent. a Jack Reaper type vigilante. Uh, so now your book or some of the characters kind of based mm -hmm. off your grandparents, right? Or some, right. A little bit having to do with, because they were, my mm -hmm. goodness, they were there. I mean, they were there. They were living exactly, there. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, exactly. And, I mean, you said earlier on, you know, when we think about the Second World War, obviously we think of the, the combat troops and we mm -hmm. think of, you know, um, uh, saving Private Ryan and all that great mm -hmm. stuff. But yeah, and, and actually as a child, I think, when I learned that my grandparents had all stayed home, I probably, you know, in a dismissive way thought, oh, you know, you had it easy then. But mm -hmm. the more research I've done, the more I've found. I mean, my so one of my grandmothers was a an air raid patrol warden. So this, you know, she was a twenty year old woman running around blackout the curtains. At night. You got to have your blackout exactly, curtains. Blackout, and then <laughs> you know, literally digging people out, and and you know, yep. while living in London during the Blitz. Mm -hmm. um, my other grandmother actually, for her whole life, she didn't talk about this. She just told us she was in the WAF, which was the Women's Air Force. But as she was dying, she said to my mother, "I, I was at Bletchley Park, um, but literally when they." shut it down at the end they said you must never talk about this for your whole life now and people so that don't know right that was where they broke uh the code enigma exactly yeah. and that was where a lot of today's uh ability to crack code came out of there i mean right. there's some remarkable stories out of that mm -hmm. and some spies that were you know double agent and for russia and it was, a, right. it was amazing yeah, yeah. So, um, and even now, you know, we try and get, we've tried to get her service records and we just get the bare minimum, you know, here's where she oh, was. Of course, it's all <laughs> redacted. Yeah, here you right. go. It's all blacked out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then my, my, both my grandpa, my grand, one of my grandfathers was a painter, a house painter. So mm -hmm. they said, well, we need you because, you know, we're losing houses by the minute. So we need you to help rebuild. Um, and the other one, was a chef um mm -hmm. and he actually did end up signing up in the air force and, and going into europe after the invasion but yeah it's so none of them were actually in the this auxiliary unit but mm. i i can just imagine you know that everyone was frankly terrified that the invasion was coming so they were all doing what they had to do just mm -hmm. to, to get by yeah 40 uh, 40s uh mm. early 1940 and that was before the united states even right was even in the war i mean we didn't get in the war in december 7th 41 but we really probably right. didn't show up in england or the uk until 42 or, right. or after to be honest with you yeah. because we were 
probably, you know, North Africa and, right, and, and yes. things like that. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So what we did, what we did have quite early on, um, because obviously back then England was an empire and it had these, mm. you know, Canada, India, Australia, New Zealand. So yep. quite quickly we had Canadian troops coming over and mm-hmm. there's lots of, again, you know, you can find rocks near my house that have got like the graffiti from um, Canadian troops that were stationed there. So we had lots of those. But yeah, as you said, the, you know, the American troops, um, they didn't even know there was a war going on when during no. 1940 there wasn't i mean the dates are different for you guys so um, now you were laying on to your own and right i mean the punishment that right. was endured by the by the population i mean right. they you know the the rockets you know the yeah. buzz bombs yeah. the v1 the v2 and yes. then just a relentless luftwaffe uh, mm-hmm. uh air raids and it was crazy and then but you guys persevered. It was amazing what the RAF did. And then the right. invention of radar. Right. right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And actually, yeah, I'm getting into that in my second one. Um, so I've written the sequel now, delivered that. Um, and so, yeah, looking at, as you say, I mean, the the Battle of Britain was then the air war, you know, trying to mm-hmm. keep the Germans um, out because um, if they'd sort of destroyed our air capability, then they probably would have invaded. Um, and a lot of that was was enabled by, by radar. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we were able to Get our get our planes up um, quickly, um, but yeah, I, as you say, I mean England. I grew up in the seventies. I'm, I'm a bit younger than you, so. Mm-hmm. But even then, England was a. The post-war England was a depressed economically and you know spiritually place. I mean, it was literally been a lot of it had been destroyed oh, during yeah. the war. Um, so yeah, and, and my my parents, both of the baby baby boomer generation so they were mm-hmm. born literally the, the year after but you know they talk about growing up playing on bomb sites and they were sort of you know living in prefabricated houses just yep. for somewhere to live with like no electricity you know no plumbing etc so it's yeah it was a the war literally defined the english existence for like the next 30 40 years i mean mm-hmm. it really had aftershocks oh yeah it's, it's, it's tremendous. so how did you get in i mean hmm. Living there, that interests you is probably yeah. growing up. Yeah. But what what made you write a, a book on that? And, mm. and you know, people, I tell everybody, writing fiction, you probably do more research than if you're right. writing nonfiction. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, I I've always wanted to be a writer. You know, that's mm. ever since I was a kid. I, I books are just the greatest thing, and I I would hold anyone who's written a novel up in in very high esteem because there mm. are so many of us who want to do it. So anyone who's done it, you know, they're my heroes. Um, and actually, I'd spent most of my life wanting to write a book, mm-hmm. but you know, excuses came and came and went. Um, yeah. So actually, can I can I take like two or three minutes and sort of tell you my story? Yes. About, yeah, how, I, yes. how I got into writing that. Please that do. Book. I mean, I I was one of the I was one of these guys who you know every New Year my my resolution was this year I'm going to drink less i'm going to exercise more <laughs> and write a book and every every year came and went and i didn't yep. manage any one of those um, mm-hmm. and so actually about seven or eight years ago i started a children's book and i got really bogged down about halfway through and i thought what's the the most extreme thing i could do to myself to make me finish the book so i said okay i won't i won't drink so you know i like drinking i like having a beer of course so i said I, I won't i won't have another no no more drink will pass my lips until i finish this book and the weird thing was, like, weeks went by, months went by, a year went by, and I thought, 
I didn't get, get back to the book, but I was finding it very empowering, the fact that I wasn't drinking. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the power of that was like doing it every day. As you know, anyone who's signed up for that kind of program knows you've got to do it every day. Yeah. Yep. A year or so later, my dad got very sick with heart trouble and I realized I've got to do some exercise. So I thought, well, I'll do the same. I'll, I'll, say, I'll make a promise to myself. I'm going to exercise every day. So I'm not going to have that internal debate, you know, do I go to the gym today or do I not? Mm-hmm. I bought, you know, bought myself a bike, put it in the basement and exercised every day. And I still do, still do both of those things. And those things actually, I think, really taught me that, you, wow, I can change myself. You know, mm-hmm. I, can, I don't need to just listen to that voice in my head, which tells me I'll fail this story. So after I'd read this book, this history by James Holland, where I had this, this suddenly this idea of this character in, in the Second World War that I really suddenly really wanted to write, I said to myself, okay, let me just do the same approach. I am going to sit down every day just for 20 minutes, literally, like mm-hmm. I can find 20 minutes in a day. Yeah. But I'm never going to have that dialogue of like, is today going to be the day? Like, of course it is. If it's a day, I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, of course I had to do loads of research, but that was fun. And yeah, I mm-hmm. plugged away six months later, but had the book. Um, and, and actually my, my approach was my initial draft. I didn't do too much research for. So I mm-hmm. just had loads of placeholders for like, how yeah. much did a beer cost? Did they have telephones? What kind of gun would he use? Yeah. So I got, then I went, so I had the draft, I could relax a bit and I could think, okay, you know, you're not a failure anymore. You've written a book. Yeah. Awesome. Good for you. Now let's go and do the really, really fun bit, which is really actually learning about what it was like to live in, in Britain in mm-hmm. 1940 and, you know, what it was like to sort of use these weapons, etc. So yeah, that, that was the fun bit. After I'd sort of eaten my vegetables of like writing the book, <laughs> there's um, the uh, cauliflower. Yeah. Eat it exactly. Yeah. Sprouts. <laughs> so now you know. Now I get the the fun bit of and yeah, I'd I love it. I mean, you know, I, I probably started out reading some of the classics that you guys read. You know, like particularly look, when I watched The Pacific, I went away and read you know Eugene Sledge's book, Robert Leckie's book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm at work at Dartmouth where Nate Fix from Nate Fix, the Marine captain in um, mm-hmm. Generation Kill. So I've read, I've read lots of these biographies and memoirs of, of men who are serving, um, and I think that helped me a bit get into the mm-hmm. mind of, of John Cook, who's a veteran. Um, I found a great book by a, a guy called Edmund Blunden, who was a poet, who was sort of a you know, pretty white-collar poet guy mm-hmm. living in Sussex. He got called up to go to the trenches in World War One, and so his memoir of that is very well-written, and he was terrified the whole time. Oh yeah, um, as you would be. So yeah, yeah. I, I've loved learning, um, and will continue to love learning. But yeah, I, I do. I, I I enjoy the writing aspect of. It. I like the I, research aspect. Mm, uh, the mm. creativity, you know, yeah. the the imagination. The yeah. But my, my thing was, I I never. I just, I've been writing about a year and a half, right. a little over a year and a half, and I've got two books out. I'm writing my third, and I think the only reason why I finished the first one is because I told people I was writing a book. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, "Yo, how you, how's it coming? Are you are you done yet?" I'm like, right. "Oh my goodness, I got to finish this thing up." So, but I, but I do enjoy that. So, do you have like a regiment other than the 20 minutes a day? Now I, mm. you'll probably have more of a. Do you outline? I, how do you write? Yeah, I I did outline. You know, I because I knew I didn't want to get discouraged. I didn't want to get halfway through and be like, "I don't know what's going to happen now." That would give mm. me an excuse to stop. Mm. So I did. 
for me, I just had about 30 index cards. You know, each index card was basically a chapter yep. so that I could know basically what was going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. I I tried to write first thing in the morning. So I'll get up, have some breakfast, and then do that. And then, because then I can feel good about myself the whole day. It's awesome. Right. Um, you knock it out. I, exactly. You're done. Mm-hmm. And then actually, I, I think, I don't know how you feel about this but i think when we talk about writing we often think it's like typing but so i'll, I'll sit at the computer mm. for 20 minutes and type but then for the rest of the day my subconscious yes. is just like noodling on it i'll so, wake up with an idea right yeah yeah <laughs> so that's the and again that's the fun bit you yeah. know, i can be walking to work or walking somewhere else or working on the house and mm. then i'll be having all these other ideas so then the next day great you know i've got at least 20 minutes worth of stuff to yeah, type yeah. Up. yeah i yeah. like i think I, I like to you know walk or mm-hmm. go to the mm-hmm. gym in the morning yeah um and then write right like to sit right. outside listen to music i can listen to music mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and write yeah and because i'm i'm fresh you right know? uh because yeah. normally by the end of the day i'm i retired mm-hmm. uh a uh, year ago last august uh-huh. and last january i got bored so right. now that I am a aide on a special education bus for the school district here, so Fantastic. I do like two hours in the morning and two and a half in the afternoon. Yeah. I get that break of five hours, so that's when I do my go to the gym, do my walk, right. come back and write. And some days you write more than others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have an mm-hmm. idea. Okay, and I want to I want to follow that thought out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I do I do like writing in the morning. In the afternoon, I will, but I'm just like this is more of an idea phase for me because yeah. I'm just done mentally and, and do you do you plan yours out or do you kind of see where it takes you well i, I do a little bit of both now uh-huh. <laughs> because they get more complicated hmm. uh multiple subplots <laughs> you know for the to support the big plot and right multiple locations and so now i've got okay now i got to make sure that if i talk you know if i have a, a character hmm. i need to hmm. read if i if the main character or sub you know not the main character, but a character. Yeah. I need to make sure that I engage with them again yes. until I yeah. do something with them. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah, but I'm starting to do a little bit more because I, like you, I think that's a good way to do it is you don't, even though you'll change it, you do mm-hmm. have, okay, and mm-hmm. I want to go to here, to here, to here, yeah. to here. It's like yeah. a timeline that you're building out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I certainly got surprised by things as I was, you know, you sit there in the mm-hmm. moment and you do learn new things. I mean, I, I always thought it was BS when writers would say, oh, my characters tell me what they're going to do. But like, for instance, I had quite early on in the book, I had a fight scene blocked out and I thought, our hero, John Cook, he's in a pub, he's going to see a bad guy and he's basically going to have a fight with him. Mm. But then when I wrote it, I sort of, you know, they were out in the car park and I thought, well, right now, Cook doesn't want to have a fight. You know, he actually would rather sort of let this guy get a, not, get a punch in and just blow off steam and walk off so mm-hmm. I, ha- I wrote it that way and i thought wow i didn't when i sat down i didn't know that was going to happen um yeah. so that's kind of fun it's kind of interesting yeah I, I have a hard time killing people in the book too right like yeah. the characters <laughs> like oh shit oh well, you know i'm going to um, right right but i'm like oh yeah know, just, maybe just a bad guy or you know but yeah. yeah, I find but, that's why yeah, I end up creating like goons, you know, people who like yeah. you definitely they're just they're gonna get got. You want them gone. Yeah, but anyone who's <laughs> interesting, you're like, what? I don't want to waste this person now. So Oh, you create a new character, oh I want to bring right. them forward to another book. Exactly. Yeah. So and, yeah. And that's what I did with this one. The one I'm writing is it's titled Behind You Chef. Uh-huh. That's the title. So awesome. but it's not a cookbook. 
have you been watching the bear <laughs> i did i love that show yeah oh my god that's amazing we, we have yeah. a friend whose uh son worked uh not in that restaurant but right. they used his their restaurant oh, really? to film it oh wow and he's in one of the episodes you can see his arm Huh. Yeah, he, he's he's done quite amazing uh, from a culinary perspective. But right. you know, the character, one of the main ones in this book, she's a culinary trained chef from the CIA. Right. right. But she's also a CIA agent. Right. And she has a unique unique way of uh, carrying out sanction hits and and right. everything else. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. It's, that it's pretty fun. neat how she does it. And I try to I try to look at world events of today or what they perceive or what I could perceive and right. kind of put it in there and. So far, a couple of my books are like, hmm, I have to tell people they're fiction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that means that they're good fiction because they believe it's real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's good. So uh, when, so your books are going to come out next week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what do you do from a marketing perspective? That's one of the toughest thing I think that writers, yeah. your launch, how, you, how how's yeah. your launch going or, or Yeah, anything? it is tough. Um, I mean, one thing, I don't know if you've come across this, there's a this awesome podcast called Publishing Rodeo. Um, and they they talk a lot about they in that they've got an author who had like the big splashy mm-hmm. launch from the big publisher and then an author who had none of that and they right. kind of look at the difference and I'm I mean first of all I'm I'm very very lucky because I did get I've got a, like a full on big publisher um, Hodder in the UK which is part of Hachette I mean mm-hmm. in the UK this is the same publisher that does like Stephen King and you know all the greats right um, but like my book's a tiny tiny book in there right. in there so they're not and they actually called me and the editor called me and said, look, I just want to let you know, it's not really going to be in any bookshops. It's not really going to be any publicity, you know, good for you. They're waiting for the other one. They're waiting for exactly. the other one. That's what they said. You know, take, you know, come back five years. Hopefully we've built you up a bit. But um, so I said, well, you know, what can I do? Um, and they said, well, really, it's social media. You know, you've got to get on social media, um, which I'm, I'm not, I'm not an extrovert. I don't do that kind of stuff. But right, right. Actually, what's been very effective, I've so then I've I just again developed a campaign. I'm like, okay, if I need to get mm-hmm. like a number of bloggers and reviewers reading my book, how do I do that? So first of all, I got to identify them. So mm-hmm. I just made a spreadsheet. I've got a list of about 250 bloggers mm-hmm. and reviewers who like this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and then I just started messaging them all and said, hey, I've got a book. Would you read it? Um, more than half of them said, sure. So yeah. I sent it to them and now I've got like 50 who've reviewed it already. Another 50 who've said they'll do it by next week. Excellent. Really, that's just been me, you know, just bugging people. Um, that's a great, that's a great work. way. Uh, I think that's one of the first times it's come up to that scale that right. uh, an author has talked about because it is tough. Yeah. Nobody knows you, right? right? Nobody knows your work. I mean, yeah. uh, and that's the reason why I started this podcast because when mm-hmm. I, when I was, uh, you know, done writing and you know, wait for it to be published, I didn't know anything about right. the writing. So I said, what is the better way? Talk to people who've either done it or want to do it. Or mm-hmm. And I found that the writing community itself is uh, very symbiotic. Yes. Uh, yeah. Everybody helps everybody because I'm not taking your readers from you. You're not taking right. my readers, right? right? Yeah. There's enough yeah. for everybody. Yeah. And yeah. no matter uh, how big of a writer you are, well-known or just getting started, that everybody wants to help you. They'll, they'll, they'll read your books. I I sent some stuff to uh, – uh, Ada Adair, that I, I for I'm doing an interrogation right. scene. That's what she right. did. So I said, check it out. Yeah, she gave some great yeah. comments. I, you know, I like some of them. Some of them, you know, I'll just stick with what I am. But there were some great comments. Yeah, I had a big win early on. What in that? 
it's funny on on the front cover of my book now there's a quote that says i think john cook is the jack reacher of the 1940s and it's by damian lewis um and now the interesting thing is a lot of people will look at that and think oh that's damian lewis the guy from band of brothers the actor Mm -hmm. And actually, mm-hmm. it isn't. There's a there's another Damien Lewis who's an awesome historian of mid- right. World War Two history in Britain, and he's a you know very big writer. Right. I think he he's you know his new book um, Churchill's Band of Ungentlemanly Conduct or something that's going to be a big new movie soon. But yeah, he again he was a he's a big writer. He said, yeah, sure, I'll read it. I'll give you a quote. So I mm-hmm. found some people are too busy; they don't reply, but lots of people do, and they're very yeah. helpful. Yeah. Um, like you, you know, off reaching out and offering to do this, and yeah, I love it. I to go from not being part of this industry to building mm-hmm. a community in a in a year or so. It's great. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy. And I enjoy talking to the author. I, you know, I do all sorts of books, right? They don't have to right. be thrillers or yeah, whatever fiction, nonfiction. But I because I just like would like to pick their brain because mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to help folks. I think because the biggest thing is marketing, right? Right. Yeah. You look at a book; it's it's a pie. There's a three three. You know, Cut the pie in three pieces. Yeah. There's a writing, you know, the the editing, and there's a marketing. Yeah. And then how long do you market a book? You know, right. I've been told you market it for three years after it's out. I'm heavily. Wow. Right. Um, right. So how do you market your, you know, Twitter? What ads work? What ads don't mm-hmm. work? Where, where to yeah. spend your money? Because myself, you know, I don't have a you know finite amount of uh, infinite amount of money. I have right. a finite amount of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So where do I put that? Where do, and then you know, where do you do your books? I like doing book signings. Yeah. Um, and I found that, you know, people walk by you though. The, the, the cover has got to grab you, right? Yes, that's yes. that's the thing. And then being able to engage after that, and then you get feedback. Then you, what, what are your demographics, right? If right. you don't know your demographics, it's hard to go ahead and put an ad out. Yeah, yeah. So and one, I, I mean, think one thing key. I found is interestingly, like as soon as I was trying to get a publisher and market the book and they get an agent, they were all saying, "Well, your book is kind of a man's book," and actually, you know, eighty percent of the readers are women. But actually, most of the people I've found who've read my book and enjoyed it have been women. So I think mm-hmm. sometimes you you almost have to believe in yourself and think, yeah, if yes. the industry is going to be safe and just play it by what the numbers tell them. But yeah, I I think my you know women read Jack Reacher just as much as men and they like him. So yeah, yeah. I yeah, I find a lot of women you know, like that stuff. Uh, you know the books you know that I write and right because I'm right. you know marketing people. Remember when Coke released the new Coke? Right, right. Well, that was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's a marketing person decided right, to yeah. do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't, I don't have a marketing degree. Right. But I right. could tell that that was a bad idea. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I think you've got to back yourself. You know, you, yeah. if, you, if you believe in your product, which you probably do, you've sat and read, written it for a year or so. Yeah. Because um, if you don't, you know, no one else is going to. No one else will. No one else will. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm actually, uh, I have an idea for a child, you know, children's book uh, mm. that I, I want to write, but I'm like, I write thrillers. I'd have to be careful. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> probably need a, a different name. Yeah, it's more of a picture book. Right, right. Uh, yeah, cool. But I, it's a great idea. And I've, I've ran it by a few people, and they were like, "Oh, you buy, you write the book, we buy it." Right. Uh, right. So, and they're not real, you know. Not that it's not difficult. I just have to find the time. Right. But I, right. I already have the, everything in my head. I have all the scenes in my head. Awesome. So I just have to figure out how to get that out of here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Tell them. So, so what do you, what do you do? So you do uh, your free time. You like to work on your house. You like to mm, exercise. Mm, yeah. Um, do you, do you, do you write outside? Do you write inside? Do you write in a sterile mm. environment? Could you have ambient noise or white noise or how, how, what's your preferred method? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
I've got a, yeah, I've got an armchair in my house, and it I just turned it so it literally looks out the window. Um, mm. So I'm I'm up in Vermont, so it's a very you know I'm looking out across just trees. Um, it's very very yeah. rural, so there's not much to distract me there apart from I get really interested in watching the squirrels going up and down the trees. Have you ever watched <laughs> Funny Farm? Have you ever watched Funny Farm the movie? No. Watch Funny Farm the movie uh-huh. by with Chevy Chase, right? Because you just described a scene. Right. Out of that movie. <laughs> so it sounds like I'm a cliche already, so that's fine. Um, and yeah, I, I always put my headphones in. I always put mm. the same kind of track on, um, and it just sort of zones the world out. Um, right. And yeah, it's, it's got to the point now where I really, like when I came to write book two, I sat in the same chair, I put the same music on, and it was like, ah, you know, we're back in that world. I'm in it my really, space. I'm in exactly, my space. I'm in my yeah. place. I've got, my head is in the right place. Um, I mean, I can't, yeah. And if I don't do that in the morning, sometimes I don't, like life gets in the way. Right. I feel a bit kind of antsy through the day until I've, I've done it, which is a good thing, I think. You know, mm-hmm. I want that feeling. Um, I mean, I aspire to be where you are, where, you know, I'm sort of retired from my, my day job and, and yeah, I can build more of a, build my day the way I want it. Um, yep. But even then, I don't think I would be sitting in that chair eight hours. I couldn't do that. Right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm like, uh, if I don't write, or do something related to the book. At the right. end of the day, I'm like, "What did I do?" Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So I do like even if it's a paragraph, but yes. that paragraph allows me to think of the next thing I want exactly. to be able to do yeah. in the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping to have my third one done by the end of January, and then awesome. released fall. Great, uh, great. Fall to sometime. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. It. But I do. I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Like, no one ever asked you to do it. No, no one said mm. to you, "Hey, we would love it if you would write us a book." And yet, you, so you've got to be quite bloody-minded, I think, to say, "No, yeah. I'm, I'm going to sit down and do something that no one else in the world is waiting for." But that nobody asked for me to do. Yeah, no one asked me to do. <laughs> no one's waiting for it. No one cares. Like, if I stop tomorrow, so yeah. it's kind of like a weird sort of self-punishment in a way. But no, I love it. Yeah, I mean, better than flogging. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Not quite as good for you as training for a marathon or something, but yeah, I still, but yeah, it keeps you sharp. It's rewarding. I mean, you yeah, know, see your yeah. see your stuff in print and yeah. get feedback. Yeah. So, and that's important too. Is you, you brought something about uh, you know people writing and reviewing. Mm. You've mm. got to get reviews out on mm. Amazon or Goodreads or right. wherever, yeah. and that's key because that's that helps with the algorithm. Right. So you know, folks, you know, do when you do read Stephen's book, go out there. Put a star rating, write a paragraph, mm-hmm. write a sentence, doesn't matter. What matters is just taking that one minute to click a button. Uh, yeah. And that that's key when you start looking at the reviews. And it's, it helps the you know the writer uh, to be able to do it. But as a writer, too, you better be a little tough-skinned. Right. Because there's some vicious people out there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I haven't had it happen yet. But, yeah, you must. I mean, yeah. No, you gotta be I, ready. I don't know how I'm to deal with it, but you gotta be ready. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so great. Well, Stephen, mm. I'm. Uh, what? No, tell us the name of your book. Where can people get a hold of you? Yeah. and all the information. Awesome. So yeah, the book is called The Last Line. Um, uh, Stephen by Stephen Ronson. Um, you can. I mean, the, the easiest place is Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it's available in the U.S. Um, from November on Kindle and audio. And then coming next spring, I think the, the, the hardcover and then the paperback will be out. Excellent. Um, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we wish you the best success. Um, 
with the launch of your book because that's a big deal. I mean, people, it's, oh yeah, it's it's a different feeling. Even you know, even if nobody reads it, so, I'm excited. So, you know. I got I got the message today, the shipping message from the publisher saying that a box of books is literally it exists and it's on, oh, on the way to me. So yeah, I'm, oh excellent. I'm very excellent. very very crazily excited. Excellent. And again, I think you know I've read a lot of World War II and everything. I don't know if I've ever read anything in the home front. Right. Right. Right, you, you, you yeah. go into the, the the combat aspect of it, or yeah. or, or something, but not mm-hmm. not really what if the invasion had happened, how right. would have England withstood and survived? And yeah. the reason is yeah. because people love their country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's why that's why it's hard to take over a country. Yeah, people love their yeah typically typically yeah, people do, love their country. They'll do whatever it takes. Exactly, exactly. Well, Stephen, it's been a pleasure talking mm-hmm. to you. Thanks, Robert. And uh, I wish you the best success. Thank you. And I'm looking forward uh, to this book and then the second one. Awesome. Yeah, watch the space. Yeah. Where can people, Twitter? Are you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Facebook? Twitter. Um, Stephen Ronson. Um, Stephen Ronson Author on Instagram. I think Stephen Ronson Author on Facebook. Um, I know I need to get one of those websites. I haven't done that yet. But yeah, look, you know, Google me. Um, Google, you know, Stephen Ronson, the last line. If you Google that, you'll find me. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, it was a pleasure meeting you and talking to you. Uh, and again, folks, we didn't even have any interpreters. We understood each, each other his English pretty darn well. So we did pretty good. Thanks, <laughs> you're, you're Americanized though. So you're good. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can behave. Oh, uh, I, I went to London a couple of years ago to, hmm. for a meeting and I stayed, uh, at the white house by, uh, oh, I forget, uh, in England. And I walked all hmm. the way down to Buckingham palace. Right. Right. You know, yeah. Uh, I forget what street it was, but it was a fantastic place. And, yeah. You know, sometimes folks would say something to me. And I'm like, uh. Uh, say that again. <laughs> yeah. And I'm well, sure when I would like. say, I'm sure when I was saying something, they were like, what the heck? Where are you from? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I love it. And again, thank you very much, folks. Check him out. Book's going to be out next week. Uh, connect with him through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Wait for his webpage to come up. Um, I'm sure he's going to get right on that. So, uh, excellent. Stephen, thank, thank you. you very much. Thanks, Travis. Thank you for listening to Author Eke. There'll be another episode next week. Please stop by and start your own story. We can't wait to hear it.